0: Jeff.
1: And I'm Tiff. And we're your Curious Cousins.
0: Where we talk about everything kooky and spooky in the state of Oklahoma.
1: Welcome to episode 51. Welcome. How are you?
0: I'm great. How are you?
1: I am good. Nice. I got to get a mani-pedi today. So oh fun. I'm feeling fancy. Oh <laughs> nice.
0: I went to church. That was it.
1: <laughs> I did go there too as well. But then I met uh, my friend Gwen mm-hmm. for lunch Actually, I have family pictures scheduled for this coming weekend. Actually, You on, have a busy weekend. I know. One of our favorite cousins' birthdays is coming up in exactly one week. I
0: don't know whose. It's Jess.
1: <laughs> Anywho, I have family pictures scheduled for that day, so I had to pick up some clothes for my children to wear and my husband to wear. So we met and did that. <laughs> and um, Then we went and got lunch, and then we got Manny Petties. Nice, and then we just went to a garden train. Yeah, who Uh, knew? Tulsa has a garden train club, and one of their members lives in my neighborhood. And so we took the baby out there and Mm -hmm. let him look at the trains. And then the bubba met us out there, and yeah,
0: so we, yeah, a little it was actually really cool. It's very, really neat,
1: yeah. Um.
0: I wish the breeze was blowing a little bit more. Me too. But Me too. <laughs> it, could be, it could be a
1: lot more hot. So <laughs> yeah. I'm not going to complain too much. No, no. But it was kind of neat. and um, I didn't know that that was a thing. But very cool. I
0: mean,
1: yeah. It's funny. In my head, I kept thinking, I bet they have a train at Christmas, like around their Christmas tree, and I bet it's epic.
0: Oh, yeah. You know it is. Yeah. It makes you wonder what the inside of their house looks like. Yeah,
1: I wonder, too. Hmm. I don't know. Interesting. Anyway. Maybe I need to get to know them. Maybe. So yeah, um, this is part two of our season premiere, I guess is how we could call it, Uh, going back to our Roots and Outlaws. I just covered Flora Quick and Ernest Lewis last week, and so this week I am covering two very infamous outlaw couples. Are you ready for it?
0: Oh, I'm so ready. Do we have any
1: business or anything?
0: Uh no, okay, I mean, I so. nothing's changed from last time we talked
1: about yeah, it. Exactly. So. so yeah, I am covering Bonnie and Clyde.. Woo! <laughs> um and yes, we know that they're not from Oklahoma, but a lot of their crime happened in happened in the sooner state. So yeah, and a lot of people were affected by their rampage, by their
0: outlaw their
1: outlaw. <laughs> There you go. There you go. So I thought it would be interesting to cover them. Um, I used the sources 100 Oklahoma Outlaws, Gangsters, and Lawmen from 1839 to 1939. I used Wikipedia. Oklahoma Tall Tales Uncovered by Joe M. Cummings. It's a new book that we got. Oh. Um, Oklahoma Scoundrels by Robert Bar Smith and Lawrence J. Yadden. So, Jess, how bad is bad? Bonnie and Clyde. Okay. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Well, I wa- mean, it's,
1: <laughs> you know. I mean, when you it, think about famous couple, like out infamous couples, Bonnie and Clyde are probably one of, the, one of the top of the list, right?
0: Well, I don't, honestly, I don't really think there are too many. No, if I don't you think, think about many, it, no. But, I mean, I think they're the most romanticized.
1: Absolutely. A hundred percent. A hundred percent. I agree with that. Um, I would definitely rank them up there with the British, the Moores murders from Great Britain. That was a couple. Oh, okay. Um, they ended up being serial killers. I don't really know. Like, Bonnie and Clyde weren't serial killers. They were... No,
0: they were just...
1: I think they're considered gangsters because they're of that era. Yeah. But they weren't associated with the mob. They weren't mobsters. I think they were more gangsters. They weren't mobsters. And I... I think, Through this, I learned there was a difference between the two.
0: I mean, I think really, and uh, there were outlaws. Yeah. Like, yes, absolutely. They weren't Old West outlaws, no. but they were just outlaws because they weren't really with any kind of gang. They didn't call themselves a gang. Oh, they did.
1: They did. They were the Bloody Baron gang. Oh, they did yeah, call the themselves Bloody Barrow a gang. Game.
0: Well, oh, I mean, so it's just
1: like maybe they didn't call themselves. Well, that, I guess
0: that what I mean to say is they it, they weren't they don't really fit the gangster. Type no, no, because it wasn't like yeah they were with a big group of right. people. Like there right. were some others with them. but Yes, yes.
1: So um, there's, a, there's a famous quote describing this one of the, I mean, this, this has got to be one of the most famous crime couples in the world. And it's by none other than Charles Arthur Pretty Boyd Floyd mm. himself. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. This is how he described Bonnie and Clyde. These two give us all a bad name. <laughs> <laughs> they were nicknamed the Bloody Barrow Gang. And like I was saying, we were talking about Bonnie and Clyde. And I remember the first time I had really ever heard about them, I had my, I think my parents were watching the very famous Hollywood movie. And I was just fascinated with this thought of these two people, this couple. Mm -hmm. And they were just, they were bad, they were a bad guy and a bad girl. And it was just fascinating. And then I swear to you, I see that movie and, We went to visit the State Fair of Oklahoma, and I don't remember how old I was, but it claimed to have the Bonnie and Clyde car there. Mm. And for $1, you could go and look at it, and my dad wouldn't give me $1. Let me go look at it. So, you know. So, uh, this couple did become famous about 40 years after Flora Quick and Ernest Lewis's love affair with each other in crime. Now, like I said before, neither are Oklahomans. However, they did spend a significant amount of time during their criminal careers here in Oklahoma. Mm -hmm. And they often loved traveling along Highway 69 between Texas and Missouri. And what's between Texas and Missouri? Oklahoma. So let's start with Clyde Chestnut, champion, Barrow. Wow. He gave himself the middle name. name. He gave himself the middle name champion.
0: Uh, Probably because he didn't like chestnut.
1: (laughs) Chestnut is interesting, though. So Uh. (laughs) He was born March 24th, 1909 in Teleco, Texas or Talico, Texas. He was the third of eight children, although some sources did say he was the fifth of seven. Mm -hmm. So I don't know if a sibling I'm assuming a sibling must have passed away Mm -hmm. at some point. His father's name was Henry and his mother's name was Kumi. His father was a sharecropper. Okay. By age 12 the family moved to West Dallas and Henry opened a filling station. Clyde really struggled staying in school since his family was always having to move around to follow the crops. So by 5th grade he drops out.
0: Well, how old was he when they when his dad started running a filling station?
1: 12. It was actually reported that even when Clyde was in school, he actually spent more time with the police than he did with a classroom. Mm-hmm. Other sources I did find say that Clyde officially quit school at the age of sixteen so he could work full time. So I don't know if he dropped out and then came back and then dropped and you know just wasn't consistent. Well, if he, I mean, he, he going to
0: school, he could have been helping his dad right. with the sharecropping, right?
1: Because I mean, I know like Pretty
0: Boy Floyd, that was. Um, his issue too. His yes. dad was a sharecropper yes. and yes. he didn't yes. want any of that And that's going to be a
1: theme here that between both of these, they mm-hmm. both come from generational of poverty mm-hmm. and they both are struggling mm-hmm. with that aspect of their life. So at age 17, Clyde was caught with his brother and future gang member, Marvin Ivan Barrow, AKA Buck or sometimes called Ivy. And they were stealing turkeys buck does claim that at the time uh clyde didn't know that the turkeys were stolen
0: what did he what do you think they were wild
1: i'm or, not I mean, like, i'm just not like, it didn't say buck just said that he didn't that his little brother did not believe did not know that the turkeys were stolen but apparently they were okay so clyde quink after this he quickly turns to auto theft and safe cracking so this was a big acceleration from stealing say, turkeys to stealing cars um, during his youth, he was arrested eight times, Jeez. and he was released each time. Now, if you haven't so figured, a- slick, <laughs> yeah. And if you haven't figured it out by now, he- Clyde he came from an extremely poor family. They often had trouble making ends meet, uh, hence the life of crime. Mm-hmm. Many times, he- the children of his family had to be divided up and passed around to different relatives. Mm-hmm. And as the siblings got older, Clyde would find himself staying with his older sisters or brothers and their spouses. Mm-hmm. One account said that the family had to resort to living under their wagon when they first arrived in West Texas, West Texas, West Dallas, until they could afford to purchase a tent. Clyde's first official arrest happened in late 1926 when he was 17. So I don't think the turkey robbing was really on his or any record. of his Small time thieveries when he was younger was on his record. Yeah. But um, at 17, he ran from police because he failed to return a rental car on time. And here's a quote from his sister. One night, very late, Frank Hardy and Clyde came by the house and got me out of bed. They had four bricks of ice cream, a handful of pocket knives, some hot water bottles and a lot of other stuff, which they spread out on the kitchen table. When I demanded to know where they had found all this junk, Clyde told me the most marvelous lie I had ever listened to. (laughs) He said there had been a drugstore fire in Oak Cliff, and he and Frank just happened to be driving past and had seen people throwing all sorts of things out in the street. And as everybody else was doing the same thing, they had stopped and helped themselves. Naturally, I didn't believe a word of it, and I said so. Again, we had a big row, and Clyde left in a huff. I was worried to death about him by now. I had found out he had quit his job since going to live with Frank and something warned me that things weren't going right. And that quote is from the book Fugitives. Mm -hmm. um, And it's a direct quote by Nell Barrow herself. A lot of uh, quotes that I'm going to be using today are actually from family members, uh, which is kind of interesting because they both had large, very large families Mm -hmm. that, um, that outlived them both. Right. So... Now let's talk about Bonnie Elizabeth Parker born October 1st, 1910 in Rowena, Texas to JT and Emma Parker. Her father was a bricklayer and Bonnie was the second of three children. In 1914, JT passes away. So Emma decides to move the family back to cement city, a suburb of West Dallas. They would live with Emma's parents. Bonnie was a good student at cement school and she was a prolific writer. Mm -hmm. She was a wonderful writer. In fact, um, a lot of uh, like one of her journals still survives. Some of her poetry still sur- survives. And I think honestly, if she would have just used that for good, mm-hmm. she probably would have been very successful yeah. in whatever else she chose to do. Her sophomore year of high school, she met Roy Thornton. The couple dropped out of school and married on September 25th of 1926, six days before Bonnie turned 16. Wow. So here again, the, you know, they were not very well off people. She drops out of school, even though she was a good student, she Mm -hmm. still drops out. And I just, you know, stay in school, friends. Thornton was often absent, committing crimes. So she had a thing for the bad boy. Mm. By January of 1927, Thornton was again arrested and sentenced to 99 years for being a habitual criminal. Oh. There was never any divorce between the two, yet I don't think there was any love between the two of them either. Hmm. I mean, they hadn't even been married six months by the time he was put in prison. Once Roy was sentenced, Bonnie never saw him again. She never went to go visit him. And when we get to her and Clyde's relationship, that's that's not something she sticks to. She it habitually goes and visits Clyde. So I just don't think that they're, I think maybe they had like a, like a a whirlwind romance, but then Mm -hmm. it wasn't what she thought it was going to be. Right.
0: Didn't turn out the way she thought. However, this is
1: pretty kooky. She wore her wedding ring until the day she died. She, when she was found dead, it was Mm -hmm. on her finger.
0: I mean, it could have been one of those things where she wanted to make it seem like maybe
1: a hundred percent. There was
0: more to her and Clyde than, Oh, I,
1: and I think they're, they're,
0: Well, I mean, probably
1: would have been if they wouldn't have been outlaws. mm -hmm. Because nobody was going to marry them. They couldn't register because they'd get arrested. When Thornton was in prison, Bonnie moved back in with her mother and started working as a waitress. Now, this is the kooky, creepy fact. Gave me chills kind of when I read it. Bonnie met and often waited on Todd Hinton. And if you're a big, if you are very knowledgeable, a big like person into Bonnie and Clyde, that name will sound extremely familiar because it is at the time when Bonnie was waitressing and she knew Ted, he was a post, he was a post office worker. Later he joined the Dallas County Sheriff's department and eventually served as one of the posse members in the ambush that killed Bonnie and Clyde.
0: Oh, interesting.
1: So, um, so that, yeah, they knew each other. Hmm. He knew them. He knew, he knew her at least. Um, and like I said before, Bonnie had been a good student. So among many of her effects that had been left over after she had passed away. And even they found a diary from 1929 and uh, she wrote poetry and some of it was even um, published posthumously. Oh. So as you said, they're not really gangsters, but and I don't know that they called themselves a gang more as probably the media. Yeah. Dubbed them the Bloody say, Barrow I Gang. The, I thought that it was more yes. the media. So... This gang forms, essentially. And Clyde is often in and out of jail. He's either being released or he breaks himself out. (laughs) And you're going to find that this is a theme. Um, He teams up, Clyde teams up with Oklahoman Raymond Hamilton for a time. He was a notorious criminal as well. Mm -hmm. Together, they escalated their crimes from theft to murder. Mm. And I don't know that necessarily murder was in... Tensional, mm-hmm. but when you're doing crimes of this sort, I think it just it just naturally happens. Mm-hmm. Uh, April of 1932, John Boucher was murdered. However, it appears Clyde was simply the getaway driver, not the shooter. And Hamilton was actually the only one ID'd, but he actually wasn't even there when it happened. <laughs> so, and you'll find out Clyde was very... Um, forthcoming to his relatives and his family mm-hmm. about the crimes he committed. And this is one of them that he adamantly mm-hmm. said that well, he see, did that
0: not See, that reminds me of I think it was like Pretty Boy Floyd. Yes. Um you know they thought he was at the Kansas City Massacre. Yes, and, and he was. wasn't yeah he wasn't
1: so let's talk about a, a meet cute. <laughs> okay. January 5th, 1930. The couple would meet at their mutual friend Clarence Clay's home. Clyde was 20, Bonnie was 19. Bonnie was out of work and helping a friend with her broken arm. Hmm. It was love at first sight. Clyde stopped by and Bonnie was making hot chocolate. Oh. 1 month later, Clyde was arrested at Bonnie's mom's house for burglary. He, he wasn't burglarizing the Parker home, but he was arrested. They
0: knew he was there and he, they they knew he, were he was arresting there. Yeah.
1: Him. So, Clyde is sentenced to 2 years of jail time. However, he escaped. When Bonnie smuggled a weapon in for him, oh, <laughs> Clyde. it's like the typical cliche. Oh, I, this this had to be the start of it. Oh, this yeah. had to be the start of those cliches. Clyde was quickly recaptured and forced to serve his maximum sentence of fourteen years. He was also moved to a harsher prison, Eastham Prison Farm.
0: What gets me though about all of this is it's like you know if these people that do this kind of stuff. If they had just served out that first sentence, absolutely, it would. I mean, they would have been done. Oh, and out. You will see this happens
1: numerous times to these two. So, listen to this: Clyde meets Ralph Foltz here, and Ralph is another very infamous outlaw during this time period. And very newly with Clyde arriving here at this prison farm, he witnesses Ralph get beat almost to death by the actual prison guards mm. in order to teach him a lesson from trying to escape from the farm and Clyde witnessed this whole thing and they were trying to teach they're trying to teach uh, Ralph Fultz okay I see. so Clyde was very upset by this um, yet he was also often seen sporting wounds this quote from his sister Nell uh, once I visited him and found him with both eyes blackened I learned that Clyde had received a beating because he had complained that the pace set for chopping cotton was too fast for him. He also told us that often the guards would ride them down if they lagged behind. Once, after I had been with him, he said the guards accused him of having passed a note to me. Although Clyde denied it, the guard beat him severely for it. When the long days were finished, the convents were returned to the farms and were fa- forced to run all the way back about two miles. Mm. The guards behind them were on horseback, and if they failed to keep pace, they were slated for punishment. So, I, I mean, I, I know all of us have probably heard horror stories from prison farms mm-hmm. and how they treated the prisoners. And knowing that that's what Clyde Barrow went through, I think he he, became very, he started to become hardened,
0: well, I i mean, you could very much so see why he would be resentful right. of, yes. of any kind of authority like yes, that. exactly. A, of law enforcement, mm-hmm. because, you know, you're already there doing a crime and then you're working as well on top of that, which I mean, whatever. Yeah. But like to be beaten f- for unfounded. Right.
1: Reasons like. Yeah, exactly.
0: I mean, I get that's how it was, but.
1: I know. We get to look I mean, at it through the to, lens of 2023. I mean, you can
0: so. you can see and understand why he had that resentment yes, and yes. probably why he went on the path that he did. Absolutely.
1: Um. I mean, it was also reported that Clyde was repeatedly sexually assaulted. Oh. Ooh. He would retaliate by beating and killing his tormentor by bashing his skull in with a pipe. Oh. Um. However, when he did this, he was he had befriended this lifer, Aubrey Skelly who decided he was going to take the fall for the murder since he was already in there for life. So Clyde didn't take the fall for it.
0: Interesting.
1: So here's another kooky fact. In an attempt to get moved from the prison farm to the same unit his brother Buck was located at, Clyde cut off two of his toes with an (laughs) axe. Because he was like, oh, well then I can't work on the prison farm if I'm missing two toes. If that wasn't enough, if he would have just waited... His mother had already petitioned for his release. Oh and six days after chopping his toes off, he was actually released. His mother's request was granted. So for the remainder of his life, Clyde walked with a limp for no reason. Except for he was trying to get out. And if he would have just waited, well, he would have I mean, gotten out.
0: <laughs> I don't even have any words. Right, you, I don't, mean, right. Like- you don't. You don't. You
1: don't. You don't. So February 2nd, 1932, Clyde is paroled, but like we said before, he is now very hardened. Friends and family all saw serious changes in his personality when he emerged from the prison farm that he was just a completely different man. Uh, this well, he was he
0: probably also had some PTSD, oh, I would imagine. Yeah. Oh,
1: yeah. So this is a quote from his brother, Buddy. My grandmother said when he came out of prison, he was a changed human being. He told her, there will never be another human being put their hands on me like that again. And he hated some person who had authority and rubbed his nose in it. He hated that. And it was all because of what this 19-year-old boy witnessed in prison. He was traumatized after that. Uh, That was actually a video interview that Buddy Mm -hmm. gave later in life. Clyde tried to be a law-abiding citizen, but he was constantly harassed by the police Mm -hmm. simply because of his reputation. Mm -hmm. So it was hard. It was impossible Mm -hmm. for him to keep a job because the police would just show up at his work and take him downtown if anything ever went wrong. And so then he'd get fired.
0: Ah, yeah.
1: So right after this prison release, Bonnie and Clyde do rekindle their relationship. And Ralph Foltz ends up getting out of prison as well. So, uh, the two of them meet back up, Clyde and Ralph, and they start robbing again. Mm. They plan to raid the prison farm. Thus, they started stealing lots of money and lots of different firepower. Um, And Oklahoman Raymond Hamilton, he joined in and they created this Lake Dallas gang.
0: Our aunt lives in Lake Dallas. Dallas.
1: The first thing I thought of, I was like, oh, our aunt lives there. Mm -hmm. Bonnie and Ralph actually were arrested April 19th, 1932 after a failed robbery of a hardware store. Bonnie ended up never being indicted. However, Ralph was sentenced to time Back at the Eastham prison. Hmm. So this is a quote that I found from uh, Wikipedia. Having lost all their money and guns in a police raid of their hideout and still intent on freeing Fultz before he could be tried and sentenced, Clyde and the remaining Lake Dallas gang decided to pull some more robberies for quick cash. On April 30th, Barrow was the getaway driver in a robbery in Hillsboro during which store owner N.J. Boucher was shot and killed. Boucher's wife identified Barrow from police photographs as one of the shooters, although he had stayed inside the car. Raymond Hamilton was also identified, although he took no part in this particular crime. Hmm. So things are hot in Texas. Mm -hmm. So let's go to Oklahoma. Okay. August 5th, 1932. The deadly duo commit their first crime in Oklahoma. Or at least one of them do. Okay. Stringtown, Oklahoma. Clyde, Raymond... And Ross Dyer, another mm-hmm. guy they've picked up, are three well-dressed gents coming upon a county dance. So they decided to stop. It was unclear or unknown why they decided to stop. I suppose they were just looking for a good time. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, I
0: mean, how can you not in a town called Stringtown? Right. right. Um,
1: did I mention they were in a stolen car? No. Another neither. theme of this entire story. Stolen car. Well, I mean, they can't uh, steal a turkey and right Right. <laughs> and I don't know, like, even though this is kind of tongue-in-cheek, I don't know if Clyde Borrow ever paid a dime for a car, <laughs> ever in his lifetime. Well, Clyde and Raymond stayed in the car drinking whiskey while Ross must have been off flirting with the town girls. Oh man, because whiskey <laughs> helps everything. <laughs> and remember this is this is the height of prohibition. You know, this is during prohibition. Uh, this did not settle well with the sheriff or the deputy, so Sheriff C. G. Maxwell and Deputy G- Eugene Moore, Moore approached the car to question the men. Upon approach, probably fearing the worst and knowing they were on the run for the Boucher murder, Clyde and Raymond opened fire, killing the deputy or killing Deputy Moore and wounding Sheriff Maxwell. He was shot six times. Oh, my gosh. The trio hightailed it out of Oklahoma and returned to Dallas. Here's a kooky fact, though. While fleeing, the trio wrecked one stolen car then lost a wheel from the next stolen car, and still managed to evade police. Oh, man. Well. So I don't know if they just happen to be the luckiest criminals on the planet because this is, again, a theme. There's so many themes in this. Like, they're always stealing cars. They're always, you know, they're, uh, they're always able to get away. They're always released early. They're always able to escape. It's, mm-hmm. it's crazy so once Clyde returns to Dallas he picks up Bonnie and their crime spree was on
0: it was on like Donkey
1: Kong within two days Clyde is wanted for murder in Oklahoma along with Raymond so we're going to talk about the years 1932-1933 this is really the height or really 1932-1934 is really the height of their whole career as criminals so Clyde, Bonnie, and Raymond flee to New Mexico where they hide out with Bonnie's aunt there's just too much pressure in Oklahoma and Texas, so they go to New Mexico.
0: Well, with a murder hanging over your head, I right, mean,
1: right? Officer Joe Johns notices a stolen V8 at the aunt's home in New Mexico, and while inspecting the car, Clyde and Raymond emerge, guns drawn. The men took Officer Johns hostage. This is the first of many hostages taken throughout the throughout the careers. Clyde, Bonnie, and Raymond, with their hostage. Returned to Texas and eventually released Johns in San Antonio.
0: Hmm.
1: Officer Johns was able to get to law enforcement, who tried to set up roadblocks. However, Clyde spotted the roadblocks, turned the car around, all while shouting at the officers. Oh jeez! And like a movie, like I think you're gonna get me. I don't know. I don't know what he was shouting. It never was reported. Probably some choice words. I'm yes, sure. I'm sure. On October 11th of 32, Clyde allegedly killed Howard Hall at his store in Sherman, Texas. This murder is another one of those murders that is highly doubted to be Clyde's. He denied this murder while admitting to all the others that he ever committed. So his family really does believe that he did not commit this one either. Well,
0: I mean, I, I have to kind of agree with them on some some of those things. Because it's like, if they're so willing to admit to every other murder, right. but not to like... One specific, I mean, yes, you kind of like, okay, well, if they're going to all these other murders that they're, yeah, I did that. Like what's one more murder. Right.
1: Exactly. December 24th, W.D. Jones, age 16, joins the gang. He was a childhood friend and together they all left for Dallas. On December 25th, W.D. and Clyde shoot and kill Doyle Johnson while trying to steal his car. In January of 1933, Raymond is now in police custody. Clyde goes to his sister and convinces her to smuggle a hacksaw (laughs) in to help Raymond break out. Oh,
0: man. Now,
1: what Clyde didn't know was that the police were actually hiding inside of his sister's home, waiting to ambush Odell Chambliss, not Clyde Barrow. Oh, no. Chambliss was actually wanted for bank robbery. Uh Uh-huh. And it, it was unclear to me, like, how they thought that... Uh, Clyde's sister
0: knew Chambliss
1: or was housing Chambliss or where he even played into it, but Uh they were there for Chambliss. They didn't get Chambliss. (laughs) When Clyde was confronted, a shootout ensues and he kills Deputy Malcolm Davis.
0: Oh, man. It's like
1: the situation just gets worse and worse. Right, it does. It just, uh, yeah. So by January 26th, A Missouri motorcycle officer, Thomas Purcell, believes someone is attempting to steal a car. Shocker. It was Clyde. (laughs) Officer Purcell pulls over and approaches the car. Clyde steps up and throws a shotgun at the officer. Clyde is able to get a hold of Officer Purcell and take him hostage. Good night. Officer Purcell is released shortly after on some back road. The gang did steal the officer's gun, and later that same gun was used as a prop in some of the game's most infamous pictures. And we'll get to the pictures later.
0: Interesting.
1: Now we're on to March 22nd. We're in 1933. Buck Barrow is paroled. He and his wife Blanche set up a hideout with Bonnie and Clyde. Blanche is highly against this. And we'll get into Blanche here in a little bit. She really wanted Buck to live the straight and narrow now. He was out. He'd served his time. She wanted him to, to, to live a life, mm-hmm. um, a good life. She didn't necessarily approve or agree with the lifestyle that Buck had previously had. I, she didn't necessarily know what it was when she first met him and, mm-hmm. like, fell in love with him. And it was one of those where I think she was so blinded by her love that she just let it go, mm-hmm. you know? She didn't. She wasn't really enthusiastic about housing Bonnie and Clyde because she knew that they were kind of wanted in connection to some things. Mm-hmm. But she went along with it, and they set up this hideout in Joplin, Missouri. The goal was thought to have Buck and Blanche were going to convince Clyde to give himself up, give himself up to the law, mm-hmm. serve his time, then he'd get out. However, it ended up being a giant party, so loud and belligerent that neighbors. Called reporting the loudness and drunkenness, and even hearing gunshots. Ew. In some sources, it says this is when Clyde started breaking into national armories. Other state this is kind of it's confused because some other like this one. This is like March of nineteen twenty or March of nineteen thirty-three. And some of the timelines I think are a little bit confused mm-hmm. because there's another armory in Enid that claims claims to be the first one that was ever broken into, I see. but this one in Missouri is claiming that it was the first. So and really they were only months apart, so yeah. they're probably maybe close together. Anyway, uh, the armory in Joplin was robbed, and this is where Clyde was able to obtain his favorite, and I would I would dare say his signature weapon, the M nineteen eighteen Browning automatic rifle often called the bar Mm -hmm. in addition to the bar they also got an m1911 pistol and 12 and 16 gauge shotguns oh gosh so on april 13th believing the gang to be bootleggers (laughs) five policemen confront them and a gunfight happens not that we're surprised at this point no the gang got away, yet left most of their belongings behind, including Buck's three-week-old parole papers, <laughs> tons of the weapons they had just stolen, Bonnie, all the important things, yeah, Bonnie's poems, and a camera with undeveloped film. Oh, interesting. So being nosy, the police ran to get this film developed. And this is where the world was given the gift Of all those famous pictures of the couple, goofing around with guns and cigars, posed in front of cars and with Mm -hmm. each other. Those ones. Yeah. At this point, Bonnie, but especially Clyde, had become public enemy number one. Right after Pretty Boy. Right. Um, Not only in Oklahoma and Texas, but now Missouri and really nationwide. So this, this is another quote from Wikipedia that I really liked about both Bonnie and Clyde. John Dillinger had the matinee idol good looks. Pretty Boy Floyd had the best possible nickname. But the Joplin photos introduced new criminal superstars with the most titillating trademark of all illicit sex. Mm -hmm. Clyde Barrow and Bonnie Parker were wild and young and undoubtedly slept together. (laughs) Over the next three months, the gang traveled between Texas and as far north as Minnesota. They robbed two banks, one in Indiana and one in Minnesota. The gang became infamous for kidnapping people during these events. Victims were typically released far from their homes, but uh, these were kind gangsters, Jessica. Mm. Uh, Many times the victims would be released but given money to get themselves home. That's so nice of them. In late 1933, the gang really does start to become more desperate. They really could no longer visit any hotels or restaurants because they they, they were famous. Right. Um, So they had to camp. They had to bathe in streams. They also fought constantly.
0: Oh, well, I'm sure it wasn't fun. There are,
1: there are five people crammed into one, typically Ford V8 type car. Right. So it's not like they were racing around the country in a giant SUV from today. <laughs> right. June 10th, 1933, Wellington, Texas. Clyde Bonnie, and W.D. are in a very serious car accident while visiting family. And you will also notice that they often go back to visit their family. And so police are always at looking their families. At their I'm families. Sure, yes. Yeah. While trying to escape a possible ambush when meeting the family, Clyde misjudges a turn on a bridge washout and crashes the car overturning it. Ooh. Bonnie is gravely injured when either gasoline or battery acid burns her leg, resulting in third degree burns. Mm. It was so bad that the muscle contracted and drew up. Ooh. WD was later quoted as saying she'd been burned so bad none of us thought she was going to live. The hide on her right leg was gone from her hip down to her ankle. I could see the bone at places.
0: <gasps> oh, that does not sound pleasant. So
1: they, you know, Clyde and Bonnie escape and Clyde is like carrying running her away from this this police ambush. And they they happen upon a local farmer there, and the farmer did help the cu- the couple like providing aid for Bonnie's leg and quote calling. And so it's not really stated here, but one can probably, you know, put two and two together. I'm really unsure if they really called the doctor and the doctor was suspicious knowing the wreck had happened, or if the doctor was actually the police. <laughs> However, the farmer said he called, I'm using your quotes, the doctor. However, a County sheriff and a city marshal showed up at the farm instead of a doctor Clyde and WD kidnapped both officers, then later, while traveling north, handcuffed the two lawmen to a tree with barbed wire outside of Eric, Oklahoma. Well, that sounds
0: painful, but on top of that, like, how incompetent are these lawmen if they get
1: kidnapped? How many of them have gotten kidnapped with this? I think we're up to four, right? <sighs> Knowing how high the heat was in Oklahoma and Texas, the gang flees to Fort Smith, Arkansas. And remember, Bonnie is gravely injured. Right. So they stage many holdups and robberies simply to pay for the medical needs and bills that Bonnie has because she is going to see doctors. And I, I'm assuming that they're just paying them under the tape. They're just mm-hmm. paying them, you know, not giving her real name, right. that kind of stuff. July 1933, the Red Crown Tourist Court in Platte City, Missouri. And this is a place where you can go visit today if you'd like. The gang rents two cabins. This definitely marks the beginning of the end for the bloody Barrow gang. Blanche is the least recognizable of the gang members, so she requests the two cabins for three guests. Yet right away, people notice five people coming and going from the cabins. Now, this is, this is really funny. The car, the neighbors, notice that the car was parked in the garage between the two cabins in a suspicious, quote, suspicious slash gangster style.
0: <laughs>
1: Do you want to know, know how gangsters park? Yeah, tell me. That mean they parked backing the car in.
0: Oh, so a quick getaway. Quick getaway,
1: yes. And so really now I look at everybody who was able to back cars in and be like, oh, you're suspicious. Mm -hmm. What what are you trying to get away from?
0: Right. (laughs) Mm.
1: Blanche was also spotted purchasing five meals during mealtime to take back to both cabins. She would buy five beers at a time, and everything she paid for was paid in coins.
0: Mm.
1: Buck and W.D. were seen in town purchasing atropine sulfate, Medication used to treat Bonnie's specific injuries. Law enforcement had been tipped off knowing that Bonnie was injured. Mm-hmm. So, and these were the type of medications that were needed
0: mm-hmm.
1: for her. So law enforcement was able to warn communities to be on the lookout in Arkansas and Texas and Oklahoma for people buying those, mm-hmm. or those med- those medications. I can't imagine the pain she was in. I can't either. Lawmen watched the house and quickly called in reinforcements from Kansas City. They came complete with an armored car and machine guns. So it's about time we start fi- fighting fire with fire, I think. Right. Once the plan for an ambush was put into place, officers decided they could not let the car get out of the garage. So the armored car was placed in front of the garage to block it in. <laughs> Just proved to be futile. <laughs> the officers were no match for Buck and Clyde's firepower. Remember, they had robbed armories, military armories by this time. Right. The armored car's driver quickly backed away from the garage once he was injured from the shootout and didn't pursue the escaping car. (laughs) During this siege, Bonnie and Clyde were easily able to get into the garage and their car to escape. Buck and Blanche, however, were not. So um, I guess there was a door from one of the cabins into the garage, but the other cabin there wasn't. They would have to go outside. So in the crossfire, while trying to make it from their cabin to the garage and the getaway car, Buck is gravely wounded with a bullet. This is just going to be a trigger warning. This is pretty gory. That resulted in a large hole in his forehead. Bone and brain were exposed.
0: Oh my god.
1: Additionally, Blanche was blinded due to the glass shards lying, er, landing in her eye.
0: In oh. the end, Blanche
1: would regain eyesight, but only in one eye. Oh. July 24th, the gang stops in Dexter, Iowa. Buck is in and out of consciousness. He's bleeding profusely. I don't know how he lived, but he's alive. Blanche is completely blind in one eye. Bonnie is still recovering from her leg burn. So WD and Clyde decided it's time to camp for the night. Things are just, they're just going bad. It's, oh, it's, yeah. it's going to get from bad to worse. Oh, yeah. While out and about in the fields, locals found bloody bandages and contacted the law. They believe the Barrow gang was in the area, especially because news was traveling fast about their recent evasion of police again. Right. Lawman collect a group of 50 plus people and surround the camp
0: oh my goodness
1: again a shootout ensues wd is shot in the left calf left wrist in the chest and thumb oh my clyde is shot too but he and wd are still able to escape in the car the car gets stuck on a tree stump so it had to be abandoned a second car is located to still however the posse hits that car with a barrage of bullets 64 shots later the car just dies and so the gang well actually three of them Bonnie, Clyde, and and WD are now on foot (sighs) Buck and Blanche get separated from Bonnie and Clyde and WD and they are caught
0: Mm -hmm.
1: Blanche is half blind Buck has a severe head wound. Both are taken down and immediately carted off to hospital. In fact, Blanche, at one point when they found her, she the, the shots were being fired. She actually throws her body over Buck's to mm. protect him because he can't protect himself. Mm-hmm. And um, so she is there. because she's blind in one eye. And the police are able to get up on her. Mm-hmm. And in fact, there's pictures of this. And I'll have, to, I'll put it on, I'll put it on Facebook and stuff of her. It looks like she's freaking out because mm-hmm. they had, the police have her. But later she, t- she says she thought the cameraman had a gun and they were just going to kill her right there. Oh. And so she was like freaking out. Yeah. So they are carted off to a hospital. Five days later, Buck does succumb to his injuries in Perry, Iowa. Blanche is sent to prison. Mm
0: -hmm, mm -hmm.
1: Now, while this is all happening, escaping through the woods, Bonnie has to be carried by WD, who also has many gunshot wounds, but they are able to get away.
0: Oh my gosh. The gang's crazy.
1: It's insane. The gang steals another car from a local farm family, but later abandons it in Polk City, Iowa. At this point, it seems the gang members or what's left of them. It's WD, Bonnie and Clyde, have no idea where to go, what to do. They literally travel all over the U.S. for the next six weeks. They are in Colorado, Minnesota, Mississippi, Illinois, and then end up returning to Dallas to visit family. W.D. leaves Bonnie and Clyde and heads to Houston, where he's pom- promptly arrested and goes to jail. <sighs> November 22, 1933. After visiting family, the, now it's just the couple, they barely escape again (laughs) police were tipped off that the duo were in town visiting their family so they surround the family home a shootout occurs because why wouldn't it right and both bonnie and clyde were wounded in the knees oh badly injured the couple makes its way all the way to makes their way all the way to Salisaw. where it's just like How could this be worth it? I have no idea. You know what I mean? Like, Like, at what point do you just say, I'm done. I'm done doing this. I'm done doing this. Um, They make it to Salisaw, where allegedly, Charles Arthur, pretty boy Floyd's brother, takes them in and cares for them.
0: Oh, that's interesting.
1: This ambush enrages Clyde. We already know that he is hardened. He is a hardened criminal. He has no respect for law enforcement, Mm -hmm. especially law enforcement that, you know, is, is big on themselves. He is enraged because the shootout happened, the ambush happened with both his and Bonnie's mothers present in the home. And it made him mad. Because in his mind, it's one thing to come after me and Bonnie. It's another thing to come after us when our mothers are with us who have done Mm -hmm. nothing wrong. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: Except maybe aiding and abetting. (laughs) So seeking vengeance, Clyde stalks two of the lawmen responsible for the shootout. It was uh, Smoot Schmid. What a name. Oh, that's a... Smoot, Smoot Schmid. That's and a mouthful. Bob Alcorn. On January 16th of 1934, Clyde extracts his revenge on the Texas lawman by orchestrating a raid on East Ham Correctional Center freeing, freeing Oklahoma criminal Raymond Hamilton, Henry Methvin, and others. Mm. This now begins the federal manhunt for Bonnie and Clyde. Mm-hmm. Texas Ranger Captain Frank Hammer is called back from retirement to hunt the couple down, yet he always seems to be one step behind them. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: April 1st, 1934, near Grapevine, Texas. Two officers are murdered, allegedly by Bonnie herself, when they approach the couple's car to see if they needed help. This is reported to be the first time Bonnie actually pulled the trigger. However, it is later, um, Henry Methvine later says it wasn't Bonnie. It was him that did it. Mm. Henry, who was traveling with a couple, claimed later, like I just said, claimed later that he was the one who pulled the trigger when he mistook what Clyde meant when he said, let's take him. He was unaware that Bonnie and Clyde typically kidnapped lawmen. They didn't usually <laughs> murder them right off the bat. <laughs> oh, so keywords right off the bat. Right, right, right. Um, well, without a shootout, I guess we should yeah. say. So he, this is a quote about the event. The officers had ridden in and were leisurely racking their motorcycles, apparently with no thought of danger. Let's take him, Clyde says to Henry. Henry had been with Clyde only a short time and had never been in a situation where Clyde had t- kidnapped officers before. To him, let's take him meant only one thing. Of course, he was badly frightened. He was an escaped convict and wanted for a number of things. Also, he and Bonnie had been drinking. Huh. He seized the guns, whirled, and fired a steady volley. Both men crumpled to the ground without a sound, their guns still in their holsters. Clyde was white with rage. He was cursing furiously as he slid over the seat and under the will. Bonnie told me that Clyde swore at Henry for two days because of the (laughs) blunder he had made. Not that Clyde was against killing policemen, but simply that he saw no sense in doing it unless it had to be done. So by Henry's own words, he was the one who had killed the policeman, not Bonnie. And even Clyde kind of backed that up, saying that he, that Bonnie hadn't done it. But I believe um, in the court of public opinion, it was Bonnie who had done it, who had did it. It's just a roller coaster ride in the media. The me- media definitely loved Bonnie and Clyde one day, feared them the next, and then hate them and thought they were disgusting the, f- the day after that. Yeah. And it changed daily. Um, they were one of the original media power couples, though. They were sensationalized and definitely to the point that their notori- notoriety lasted well beyond their deaths. I mean, mm-hmm. we're still talking about them 100 years later. right. With Methvin in tow, the couple heads to Oklahoma to escape the Texas law. While parked on the side of the road sleeping, a farmer sees the group and reports the car as two passed out drunk men with a girl in the car. (laughs) Alarmed that the girl was in trouble. She could probably take care of herself. Constable William Campbell of Commerce, Oklahoma, responded with police chief Perry Boyd. Campbell is quickly shot and killed, but Boyd was taken prisoner. He was later released in Kansas with a clean shirt and money to get home. Before being left by the threesome, Jess, 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 Bonnie had one request request of Boyd. Can you guess what it was?
0: No.
1: She told Boyd to, quote, tell the world I don't smoke cigars. (laughs) Because remember when those pictures were developed? Uh They were released to the public and there's one where there's cigars in her mouth and Uh she's got the gun. Yeah. Well, I guess, you know, the media was like, ah, she's smoking cigars and blah, blah, blah. I mean, because that's the worst thing she was doing at the time, smoking cigars. And she just did not like that that was her reputation. Oh, that's funny. May 1934. Clyde at this point has 16 warrants out for his arrest all over the United States. (laughs) Texas Ranger Hammer has been tracking and watching the trio since February of that year. He has noticed their patterns and he has begun to be able to predict where they go and he is confident that his time has come. Mm. The three often trade off visiting and hiding, off with, hiding out with different family members, including Methvin's family in Louisiana. Hammer decided to get a posse together. Six men, himself, Ted Hinton that I mentioned before, yeah. Alcorn, which was mentioned earlier,
0: mm-hmm.
1: BM Galt, Henderson Jordan, and Prestis Morrill Oakley. With Whoa. a name like that, you have to be in law, I think. It's like, look at that name, yeah. May 21st. An ambush was set up along Louisiana State Highway 154, south of Gibsland, towards Sales. The six men were in place by 9 p.m. They waited all through the next day. They believed Bonnie and Clyde would take this way to pick up Melvin from his family's home because he had been dropped off mm-hmm. and then subsequently caught by police at his family home. Ah. Nine fifteen, May 23rd. A vehicle approaches an almost given up posse. They were about to give up. Mm-hmm. Melvin had pulled off the side of the road in his father's truck. Mm-hmm. The posse was hoping this sight would lure the couple into pulling over to help. Clyde's V8 approached and slowed down as hoped. Instantly, though, Clyde is shot in the head and most likely killed instant killed right then. Bonnie, on the other hand, did not fare that well. Her screams were heard all over the place. Oh, 130 rounds of ammunition later and the last two members of the bloody barrow gang were dead
0: i just feel like that's overkill to a
1: point mean, you know, I, like, I you know like i mean 130 rounds we're gonna get to that uh, but uh no i agree that was complete and utter i mean i i get that they didn't want them to escape mm-hmm. i think some of the Biggest issue and controversy in this is that they were never given the chance to give up. Now, would they have given up? Probably not. But mm-hmm. they were never given that opportunity. And there's a part of me that's like, once you realize that Clyde was dead and Bonnie was, I mean, I don't know why. I don't, I don't know. You're right. I think it was complete overkill. They had the opportunity. They could have stopped and not have to possibly not kill Bonnie at all. I guess they just wanted to make sure. I think they wanted it over. Wanted it over. Yeah. 112 bullet holes were found in the car. 17 bullet entrance wounds were found on Clyde. 26 entrance wounds on Bonnie. Several of those shots were direct headshots, including a shot that severed Clyde's spine.
0: Oh my goodness.
1: This is kooky fact undertaker cf boots bailey had a hard time embalming the bodies due to all the bullet holes i mean at this point why would you right, i got it yeah this is another one it's another kooky fact the posse was temporarily deaf due to the ambush that i believe yeah now this happened everybody around this town or this community that was outside of this road mm-hmm. heard it yeah I don't know how you couldn't hear it, you know?
0: Right. I mean not not with that racket right. going on. There was a
1: mad rush to the scene of the ambush by civilians and Bonnie's hair was literally cut off of her. Pieces of her bloody dress were torn off of her and sold as souvenirs. I mean it's the thirties. I I know that, that was like a thing. Well, I mean they were notorious. Right, exactly. So they're gonna clean out the car. More than a dozen guns, several thousand rounds of ammunition. Automatic rifles, sawed-off shotguns, semi-automatic shotguns, assorted handguns, and fifteen sets of license plates were taken out of the car. Jeez, Louise! This oh is another. Goodness. This is another kooky fact that I found out during this. It was common at the time for furniture stores and funeral parlors to occupy the same space. This was the case here, so you could buy a new couch and purchase your um purchase your casket at the same place. Um, this event became. A circus event in this little tiny Louisiana town. Oh, I'm sure. They went from a town of 2,000 residents to 12,000 within hours. Well, it put them on the map. Absolutely. New new tourist attraction. Oh, for sure. This is another kooky fact. H.D. Darby was an undertaker at the McClure Funeral Parlor, and Sophia Stone was a home demonstration agent, both from nearby Ruston. I think the home demonstration agent was the furniture portion. Mm-hmm. Both of them came to Arcadia to identify the bodies because the Barrow gang had kidnapped them in 1933. Parker reportedly had laughed when she discovered that Darby was an undertaker. She remarked that maybe someday he would be working on her. Oh, Darby did assist Bailey in the embalming. Jeez. I don't know that I would... I think I would feel really sad if that was me, if I was Darby. And be like, I don't know. He might have been not so sad because she kidnapped her, but... I'm like oh. In the end, the couple did wish to be buried side by side, but the Parker family would not allow this to happen. Twenty thousand people attended Bonnie's funeral, so many so that her family had a hard time attending. Cards came from Pretty Boy Floyd, and John Dillinger. The largest flower arrangement at Bonnie's um, funeral was sent by the Dallas Newsboys. They sold. She sold their newspapers. Now, here is a kooky fact. A lot of um, researchers and people who are very uh, knowledgeable in this area will say Mm -hmm. that this indicate this was the end of the big gangster era. You know, Capone was getting right. He was off in jail now at this time. Mm -hmm. A lot of the big mobsters were kind of very hidden and underground. Two months after, Bonnie and Clyde were killed in Gibsland. John Dillinger was killed on the streets of Chicago. Mm -hmm. Three months after that, pretty boy Floyd was killed in Ohio. Yep. One month after that, baby face Nelson was killed in Illinois. Yep. Here's another kooky fact. Parker's niece and her last surviving relative is campaigning to have her aunt buried next to Clyde. Still. Well. February of 1935, 20 members of Bonnie and Clyde's family are arrested and tried for aiding and abetting. All 20 either pled guilty mm-hmm. or were found guilty. Both mothers were sentenced to 30 days in jail. Blanche was sentenced to 10 years, but was paroled in 1939 for good behavior.
0: Yeah, she was at the Missouri State Penitentiary. Yes.
1: I almost like, she's almost kind of a victim, but not really because I think at any point she could have walked away. Mm-hmm. Um, but let's, I just want to... I'm at the end now, but I just want to jump into just mostly Oklahoma connections. On Monday, June 26, 1933, the Bloody Barrow gang reportedly stole Dr. Julian Field's car while the doctor was inside the Enid General Hospital. The next day, the car was located abandoned, but Dr. Field's medical case was gone. So it is speculated that the medical equipment was needed to tend to Bonnie's leg injuries. Mm -hmm. Now, I had mentioned that... There had been that armory Mm -hmm. break in, and that there were two armories that kind of argue which is the first that was ever robbed in the US. I don't know that you'd want that title, but whatever.
0: I mean, if it's by Bonnie and Clyde, probably. Yeah, probably you're probably right.
1: So in Enid, of course, there is an armory there. Mm -hmm. July 7th, 1933, it is on the record books the first recorded break in at a National Guard armory there in Enid. This is what was stolen. Okay. 35 automatic pistols, 40, 45 caliber guns, three pairs of field glasses, one pair of triple power French observation glasses, 80 magazines for the pistols. Numerous fingerprints were found and recorded. Two machine guns were also taken along with 2,000 rounds of ammunition. The cache also included a Browning automatic rifle where Clyde would later weld three 20 round clips together, making a short, maneuverable 56 round machine gun that would fire five to 10 rounds per second. And he nicknamed it his scatter gun.
0: Jeez.
1: Additionally, during this robbery, the gang obtained five of those bar machine guns that mm-hmm. he really loved, 46 Colt 45 automatics, and 10,000 rounds of ammunition.
0: Like, I just have to like, like seriously, what is going on at this armory where like five people can bust in and steal all that crap? <laughs> and I,
1: mean, I think it was literally reported that they like backed a car up in, opened it up, and just started throwing stuff in there. What's that say about their security? Uh, yeah, exactly. It's alleged that the couple often would hide out in Cooks and Hills with Pretty Boy Floyd's crew. Um, this is per Billy Parker, who was Bonnie's sister. In November of 1933, when I mentioned that they had arrived in Sallisaw and sought out pretty boy Floyd's help, Mm -hmm. he claims that he refused their help, but many people believe that his brother did, in fact, take the couple in, especially because Bonnie's leg was, that was just right Mm -hmm. when it had happened. He could have refused, but his brother brother might have.
0: have.
1: Now, after releasing Chief Boyd from his kidnapping up in Kansas Mm -hmm. after the murder of the Sheriff Campbell in Commerce... The couple was believed to have hid out in Tulsa, seeking the help of retired gangster Willis Newton of the Newton Gang. Retired gangster. Yes, yes, he's retired. <laughs> um, it is believed that while housed by Newton, Clyde penned his famous letter to Mr. Henry Ford of Detroit, Michigan himself. Oh. The letter that arrived to Henry Ford was postmarked from Tulsa on April tenth, nineteen thirty-four, and here's what the letter said. It's from page seventy-six of that book, Oklahoma Scoundrels. By uh, by, Robert Barr and Smith and Lawrence Yadin. It says, Tulsa, Oklahoma, 10th April. Mr. Henry Ford, Detroit, Michigan. Dear sir, while I still have got breath in my lungs, I will tell you what a dandy car you make. I have drove Fords exclusively when I could get away with one. <laughs> For sustained speed and freedom from trouble, the Ford has got every other car skinned, and even in my business, hasn't been strictly legal. It... <laughs> It don't hurt anything to tell you what a fine car you got in the V8. Yours truly, Clyde Champion Barrow.
0: That's hilarious. So
1: So here this is this it is. Makes rather, you wonder what Ford had, I, had to do. I wish thought that we that. knew what his reaction was. This is this is a kooky part of it. The letter's validity has been called into question, especially since 17 days later a similar letter was mailed from Tulsa from do, from John Dillinger. However, Handwriting experts believe the handwriting looks that of Bonnie's making the letter authentic and we have Bonnie's handwriting samples uh-huh. we know that she was a good writer right so she could have just pinned it for him while right. he said it and to wrap this up even though Bonnie and Clyde weren't from Oklahoma their wild tales and lives were mm-hmm. all over the state Blanche Barrow herself was an Oklahoma girl she was from Oklahoma. She was madly in love with Buck and had no idea what she was signing up for when they were married. And I just think that she was blinded by love and yes, she probably could have walked away at any time and she just chose... We could do a whole episode on Blanche Borrow herself. Yeah. And maybe we will. Maybe we will one day. Yeah. But that is the story. Of Bonnie and Clyde, A crazy ride that it it was. It was it was very interesting to research it. I didn't know all of. It. I mean, I knew that they were sensationalized. Right. I knew that they had just this tumultuous life. Um, but I really think that despite all that, they really did love each other.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And um, they, well, I mean, if they didn't, why would they stay right. together for and, so long? And I just think like they literally physically could not get married because her husband her actual husband didn't die I think until 1937 and he was in prison and maybe he, I don't know I, I don't know if she would have asked if he would have gave her a divorce or if you know it was that time period it just was looked down upon but there's no telling no but she wore that wedding ring and I think it's like you said I think it was to make people think that she was married to Clyde and mm-hmm. maybe in all ways she was minus the legal paperwork, I guess. Right. Because it's not like they were going to be able to walk into a courthouse <laughs> and not, get married. Not with their lifestyle. <laughs> right. Right. I and mean, maybe they could have gone to a different state. Maybe they didn't think about that, but it probably required money. Well, with,
0: as, as, um, like you said, I mean, finding that role of film. You know, it, they probably could have gotten a li- away with a lot more if that hadn't been found, right? Cause that because put their that put their everywhere. picture out there. People yes, knew who they exactly. were, and obvious, obviously, it made it more difficult for them. Yes, yes. So,
1: so yeah, that's the story. Yeah, that's it's a good. I mean, that's a good, crazy, crazy story. You know, it doesn't happen like that anymore. Thank, thankfully, no. thankfully, um, it doesn't happen like that anymore. But. What a time to be alive! And it's funny because you, this whole time, all I'm thinking about, oh my gosh, my grandmother was alive during this time. Mm-hmm. And I mean, she—I'm sure she doesn't remember. They were killed when she was two, right? So she probably doesn't remember it. But she probably had siblings that might have it at one have, point. Yeah. So um, I bet our aunt Catherine probably would have remembered, you know, it happening. Mm-hmm. So, but yeah, so that is wow. I hope you guys enjoyed it. It was a long you one. Took Sorry, us on a wild ride. So I apologize. I hope you had fun. So yeah, if you have a show suggestion or any questions or comments, please, please don't hesitate to reach out to us. You can slide into our DMs on all of our socials on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. We are at Curious Cousins OK Podcast. You can also email us at ok at gmail.com. If you would like to support us more, you can always join our Patreon at at Okay at Patreon.com. Also, make sure to like, review, and follow on your favorite podcast listening platform, including Apple, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Amazon, and Google. And just tell them what to keep it. Keep it kooky and spooky. Bye. Bye.